0: This is the Context Podcast sponsored by Proofgeist. I'm Jeremy Brown. Ransomware is a scary topic. It's heavy that brings all sorts of worry and doom and gloom to our very souls. But there is hope to combat the attacks if we give our attention to what it is and how to put safeguards in place. Today's guests, Heidi Porter, Chris Moyer, and Wim Decourt, share this message of doom, but also they share one of hope. They've talked about this in many user groups, office hours, and now through this podcast. They've had firsthand experience and deep knowledge of ransomware and of FileMaker Server itself to give us ideas on what we can do for our clients' files. So although we talk about upsetting ideas today when it comes to customer data, Chris, Heidi, and Wim guide us with a steady and calm hand to help us understand what's involved, and what we can do. So let's turn our attention and hear what they have to say. Welcome to the Context Podcast. Wow, we have a full house today. Um, I'm very uh, pleased to have with me for, I think, the third time, Wim is with me. Hi, Wim. Hey. And we have Heidi Porter. Hi, Heidi. Hi. Hi. Hey, and Chris Moyer. How are you today, Chris?
1: I am good, thanks.
0: So you are here today to talk to us about something that you find very scary, and that's ransomware. Tell me about this. Is this really upsetting to you?
2: Yeah, scary, and that's why we want to pass along the
0: fear. So Pass along the fear. that's, (laughs) That's interesting. Is it passing on fear? Is it... This is really important to know to talk about ransomware yes. for FileMaker yeah. developers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it may be unpleasant, but it, it seems like it it's, it's necessary. Was this, I'm curious for you all, because you've all been developing for a while. Uh, has this been around for a long time? Were you thinking about this way back in FileMaker three, four days?
1: Certainly not that far back. I mean, we first... I mean, we'd been hearing about it for years, but we had our first client encounter with it back in 2016. So it's been, you know, that long where it seemed like a realistic threat to our clientele.
0: Wim, how about you? Were you thinking about this a long time ago? I know you've been uh, thinking about security for quite a while. Is ransomware yeah. on your radar?
3: Probably not ransomware as such, but certainly security and, and everything that comes with best practices and hardening servers and, and security in general has always been on my radar. So this is, um, I, I guess this is the most relevant security issue that's out there these days, right? That doesn't negate all the other ones, but it's very real. Um, and to what we were just talking about, we're not fear mongering for the sake of uh, of of. of, of making sure that people are scared right it's mm-hmm. but there, there's got to be a healthy dose of awareness and unfortunately that comes with fear right because if you feel unprepared you'll you'll be feeling fearful
0: um how do you mention that uh chris mentioned that you first encountered this problem in 2016 uh had you had any like experience with this before
2: i don't recall any just to lead the answer on this, you know, we had a we had a backup, so the the client did not play, pay the ransomware, um, okay. which is a good thing not to have to do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're not scaring just to scaring. We're scaring uh, because a lot of times people don't uh, make a plan for what happens if you're hit, and there are a lot of people getting hit. And so, you know, identifying, protecting, defending, you know, making a plan. It, and it also doesn't just apply to ransomware. It applies to any, you know, we had a client get a server blown away by a tornado. Hmm. So it applies to other things as well.
0: How much did you have to pay the tornado? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. They had a
2: backup. And they just, you know, got a new machine and, yeah.
0: <laughs> So it sounds like you're here today to talk with us. And I'm, I'm glad about this for, because you had this experience. It kind of prompted you, as I understand, Chris and Heidi, especially to study the ransomware um, environment, that whole, you know, dark web area. You 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 studied it. Uh, you brought Wim on, I think, too. You can speak to this in a minute. You brought Wim on specifically because he's the server guy in, in FileMaker. Um, but it sounds like you're you're here to and you you're sharing this all over the community so that other people don't have to deal with this and be caught unawares like maybe you were back in 2016. Is that correct? Yeah,
2: I mean, I think you know, if you're asking what's the goal of this, it's to it's to spread awareness of ways to protect yourself and also to encourage people because it is something that's. You know, disaster recovery is often not thought of until you have a disaster, but yeah. even before recovery, just what your response is going to be when some disaster happens. And then ransomware, there's specific responses you need to, and roles and responsibilities you need to uh, have in place.
1: Okay. Uh, any other thoughts on that? You know, in the web world, they have this notion of being a full stack developer. And while that doesn't necessarily apply to FileMaker, you know, as FileMaker's, you know, when FileMaker server first came into existence, it wasn't as sophisticated as it is now. But, you know, we very quickly came to the conclusion that if you want to feel like you are, you know, in air quotes, full stack developer in the FileMaker world, you need to know IIS and you need to know some of these web technologies and uh, have at least a basic understanding of how to administer a Windows server and a Mac server. And so we thought those were important skills to have. For you to be able to advise a client you know they would often yep. hand it off to us and say we would like you to set up the filemaker server and so you can't go in there only knowing how to use an admin console you have to have an understanding of the underlying technology and so mm-hmm. when ransomware came along we felt like it was our responsibility to be good advisors to our clients to also have an understanding of this area So that we could say, look, this is a, a, you know, sort of existential threat out there and here's how you should protect yourself.
2: You know, that was the, it's not a coincidence that we started going to the cybersecurity conference named DEFCON, D-E-F-C-O-N, in Las Vegas. It's the largest, I think. Uh, We started going to that in 2017, the year after, you know, we had the ransomware situation, you know, realizing we need to, you know, really broaden our, awareness and expertise on um, the wider security
0: uh, world. Why don't we start by describing ransomware? Um, Chris, in your presentations, especially you've used a particular word that we'll see what you, you say here, but can you just tell me what is ransomware generally? What is it?
1: What is its purpose? So, ransomware is a piece of software and it's a software implementation of a crime. And I think the word you're looking for is extortion. So, you know, ransomware is a crime of extortion to get a company or, you know, perhaps even a government agency to pay a ransom. And they do that a bunch of different ways. So, they can bring down your infrastructure and deny you the use of that infrastructure. And so, you would pay them to get the use of your infrastructure back. Um, they can exfiltrate data and steal your client data, and you know, especially if you're a regulated industry like, you know, say a hospital, and you have patient data out there, and they choose to publish that, you would be in violation of your, you know, HIPAA regulations. So there are a bunch of ways they try and apply leverage to the organization to make them pay up. One is to bring down their infrastructure. One is to exfiltrate data with the threat of publication. The Sony hack did that. Sony had some very embarrassing emails leaked. I think they had some movies, uh, digital copies of movies leaked. And so there are ways to really make you uncomfortable. And it's sort of, you know, it's like the old uh, public shaming kind of thing. If you're supposed to be a company that is a company to be trusted, you know, maybe a law firm or something like that, where you're supposed to have good security. If you're a bank and you get hacked, it's not a good look. You know, it doesn't uh, engender the reputation of security. And so there's that. And then sort of a a later twist on this idea of extortion is to say, hey, we can see all your customers here. Why don't we go talk to your customers and say that you've been hacked and that you're not willing to play ball. And we're going to start leaking their information. So they're going to try and put the screws to you in any number of ways they can to get you to pay up. And so Uh, The ransomware is, you know, and it's gotten more sophisticated over time. Originally, it was just to sort of bring you down. But now it has a whole bag of tricks. And I think Wim has been the one who's been playing with the framework most of all. And he can sort of, you know, expand in detail on the the bag of tricks.
0: Is it easy, Wim, to write and
3: use ransomware? Uh, Unfortunately, to write it, probably not, right? Because these things can be sophisticated. Unfortunately, um, as Chris has shown in, in his slides there, uh, there's actually a marketplace for these things right uh, so uh, so if you know where to find them you can become a ransomware guy or girl and and start seeing what what you can exploit so that's the very very unfortunate fact of that is that they, they've become toolkits um, that you can pay for and download and and start using right uh, it's sort of uh, brings us back to the script kiddies, uh, where where some of the malware attacks were bundled together by by just downloading and finding on the dark web various bits and pieces that you can put together and 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 uh, and use to mount a, a ransomware attack.
0: It's interesting to me that you three are here with me in the. F- as filemaker developers in the claris filemaker space talking about ransomware and yet to me and filemaker themselves talks about how it is a low code platform i just i've never understood i never even connected a low code platform with having to deal with ransomware am i am i not thinking about it like you know other databases airtable all those other things do they have the same struggles that we
3: do? Is it, are we unique right now in in our current situation? We are somewhat unique in the sense that uh, many FileMaker platform-based solutions are are deployed on-prem, right? Uh, So you can compare and contrast that to anything that's cloud-based that is behind um, a bigger mode in essence, right? A unified mode. Um, Whereas the FileMaker solutions are deployed individually by and large individually somewhere and and the the moats and the size of the castle and the the size of the drawbridge varies a lot right so uh, so it means that there's a lot more variability in the, in the defenses um, and and people could uh, could get caught out that way and and i think a typical FileMaker developer comes from a different place than than say some of the full stack developers that chris was mentioning right because full stack developers typically have more formal education, I guess, on, mm-hmm. on everything that comes from coding and deploying, where your typical pharma developer is somebody, and it's I'm generalizing a little bit, but comes from a business side of things where they they knew a problem really well, and they found a tool to help them solve that problem. And unfortunately, sometimes that's where they think their responsibilities end with the, with the development side of things, right? And I've talked about this at many, many DEF CONs and in other areas. Like performance profiling and and, and making sure that, that the servers keep up and running, we're all good developers, but are we good deployers? right? Um, I don't think we can just throw our hands up and say, I don't know how to deploy a server. I don't know IIS. I don't know Windows. I don't know Linux. I think that's fair to say that you don't know. I, I just tend to think that our responsibility is for the full thing, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, our clients only get value out of a solution when they can actually use it. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, as Chris said, a um, ransomware is a crime of extortion. Uh, you can think of it as a denial of service attack, right? So they don't need to steal your stuff necessarily as long as they can prevent you from using it. Heidi, when you
0: encountered this problem, was it it was was it an on-prem server like uh, Wim had mentioned it kind of is unique for us. Was that the case?
2: It was at that time. The other thing I want to add though on what Wim said was that I read something recently from No Before that said that some ransomware are just going back to DDoS attacks to extort money because that is also a very simple way to you know just take down an organization. So there's many different ways they can do it. They so, wouldn't extort. They wouldn't have the data then, right? They would just be mm-hmm. stopping uh, business activities.
0: Wim mentioned that this is pretty unique for us. Things like Airtable and whatever else is in our space, all these low codes, those are all web-based platforms. There's no access to the server. We have no control over where the data is stored. Does that make ransomware issues for them non-existent? Certainly
3: not. Certainly not, right? Um, uh, The... It gives them a better chance of defending, right? Because there's uh, they they own the infrastructure, they they know the infrastructure, and they control everything about it. Yeah. Uh, of course, if they were to be attacked, it would be a huge like what what we said before. The reputational risk for them is great because in if one pharma customer gets attacked on premise, that's just that uh, that's it's an isolated incident, right? But okay. if somebody, say, pharma cloud or Airtable or somebody else gets attacked, uh, it will take down. Potentially millions of customers, in, in, uh, and uh, and and that that would make it a major event. Okay,
0: all right. I, I was wondering if we low code the low code platform seems so easy to work with, um, but there is this ransomware is part of even a low code platform too. It's not just for the web, the websites or the 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 banks or whatever. It's it's for everyone. Um, Heidi, you have talked specifically about how this is already happening and, and it's, it's just going on everywhere. Can you share some of those statistics or some of those um, the, the examples with us?
2: Yeah. So we had found some statistics like, you know, in, since 2016, there's 4,000 ransomware attacks per day. The average Jeez. ransom is around 170,000. And by the way, there's a whole industry around uh, ransomware negotiation, you know, because sometimes they attack somewhere, and the place really can't afford to pay the ransom, um, so um, or doesn't want to pay that much. And if you pay it, you know, you're more likely to get attacked again. By the way, but even just when we started um, talking about, you know, hey, we Neil, maybe we'll do a ransomware session uh, for a pause. Almost every single time we just kind of started, you know, mentioning it on meetups or in groups, and people. Had a story, right? We kept hearing story and story and story, and every time we do this presentation, we get you know half the people raising their hands. So oh, wow. um, we did have someone ask, "Well, has a FileMaker server ever been ransomware uh, At one of our presentations, and the answer is yes. I'll, you know this has happened. That's one of the things about kind of the main targets of ransomware. Our small, medium businesses, hospitals, maybe rural governments, I'm seeing they're underreported, I believe. Uh, You know, I can't prove that, but it probably is underreported. There's not the ability to enforce action for all of these attacks, right, Um, even if they are reported. So um, I think they're happening more than we know, even with the statistics of how much they're increasing, and the insider threat is also getting bigger as well, yeah. um, based on an article that um, someone posted today. Well, and, well, and that uh, means that you know someone inside your company can basically hire someone or, or pass along some ransomware agent that can attack your system and then you know walk out the door.
0: Okay, let's let's start at the, the beginning. How
1: ransomware we know is is as you said, Chris. I like how you said it. It's a, it's a software implementation of a crime of extortion.
0: That's that's a pretty awesome way to describe it. Can you um, how how does this work in general? Can you walk us through, like, how does how does ransomware start? How does it get to the point where it locks up my entire system or encrypts
3: my files? It's a whole chain of events that leads up to the denial of of your infrastructure, right? Of, of taking away your infrastructure or part of your infrastructure. The the act of Getting your files encrypted. The actual ransomware attack is actually just the tail end of the of the whole attack, right? The attack starts with somebody trying to infiltrate your your infrastructure, and very often these days that starts with um, with phishing, right? They they try to get to know your users, your your staff, um, so that they can explore uh, the, their machines and the rest of the infrastructure. So it's a it's a slow infiltration into your infrastructure, and once they're in they will try to burrow and, and expand, right? Move sideways, go from one machine to the next machine uh, and basically discover everything that there is to know about about your infrastructure, where you keep things, what kind of software you have, what kind of defenses you have, uh, where your backups are kept. Um, so they'll do a full reconnaissance of everything that you have, everything that you are, so that they can... Uh, and At some point, they'll say, we have a full picture. Let's pull the trigger and let's attack. And they'll attack typically by taking away your backups. So the attack can be spread out over months and weeks hmm. to the point that when they actually attack the most visible parts of your systems, and you say, oh, I gotta shut it down and go to my backups. Often you'll you'll discover that you have no backups um, or that your backups are unavailable to you. So um, so all of that good stuff there um, in the presentation, uh, and we can send some of the links with, um, with this podcast, I'm sure. Um, there are some really good websites that detail uh, summaries of all the vulnerabilities and attack services that are being used in, in, this, in these kinds of attacks, and it's massive, right? It's not as simple as, here's a piece of malware, I'll plant it on your machine and I'm done, right? It, it's actually a combination of many, many of these things uh, that are somewhat specialized, and they will go to great lengths to figure out how your defenses work and then actively disable them um, so that they can do their work without being detected.
0: I, I was listening to your presentations, and I'm, I'm interested in hearing every single thing that we can do to, prov- to minimize um, ransomware attack probabilities. Uh, but two questions, Chris: For you, um, is it inevitable that someone is that someone in our space or I will get attacked in this way? Do you feel yeah, like yeah, there's? Inevitability. So, yeah,
1: maybe it's a little bit of hyperbole to say everybody's day of doom is coming and it's just a matter of when. But, I mean, I think it's fair to say probably half of the people we talk to have a story. Okay. Um, I mean, 888 got hit in June. And that sort of highlights the, the difficulty we have in sort of talking about mitigation measures for this. And I haven't verified this, but my understanding is what got compromised at 888 was their domain controller. And, you know, we're not purporting to have expertise on hardening a domain controller against attack. But if someone gets in there, then they can get to your FileMaker server. So we're trying to sort of stick to our knitting and talk about what we know, you know, about FileMaker servers. And we can talk about how best to defend that. But the sort of sort of broader, you know, defensive effort about, you know, making sure your endpoints are set and things like that. We have some sort of general recommendations like institute anti-phishing awareness campaigns and things like that. That's just smart just because it's a common point of entry. But as far as protecting different pieces of infrastructure, we're trying to ha- have a tighter focus just so this isn't a four-hour conversation.
0: You, you mentioned, Chris, that um, the, the biggest thing we could do as FileMaker developers is to enable encryption at rest.
1: So yeah, I mean, getting back to this whole notion of extortion, if someone exfiltrates your data with the intention of, you know, publishing it and embarrassing, you know, you or the organization, one thing you can do to mitigate that is to turn on encryption at rest for the database. So they might exfiltrate your database, they might try and use some uh, password breaking tools to get into it, but if it's encrypted, that's not going to work. So... Maybe they've grabbed your database and all they have is this big file that they can't break into. So you protect yourself against that sort of prong of the extortion effort. So, so that's one sort of piece of the defense. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as denying you access to your infrastructure, you know they want to encrypt your backups and things like that. And so uh, we're a big fan of using immutable backups that can't be encrypted to protect yourself from you know, being denied access to a, a usable backup. And so and especially with uh, automation tools that exist out there these days, like auto, you know, (laughs) it seems like a great idea to have encryption at rest turned on, have an immutable backup set up and then create an automated process to verify that that stuff is actually working and, you know, stand up, you know, automate a deployment uh, operation where you say, I want to stand up a new cloud server. I want to grab one of my immutable backups and open it and launch it with the ear password and make sure that sucker's working. And so to do something like that, you have some peace of mind to say, yes, I am confident that if I had to, you know, at gunpoint, uh, spin up a new server and run off my backups that I would be able to do so. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in in general, people might do that process manually, but that's a hassle that gets old. It's not very exciting work. And so to the extent that you can automate that, I think you have a higher likelihood of making sure that that uh, check actually happens.
0: At the very beginning you all mentioned the 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 fact that um, you know it's kind of a reputation killer. Is that is that true nowadays, given that you know, your 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 thought is that a lot of us will eventually be ransomware attacked in some way. Whether or not we can we can get we can, you know, restore and, and, or stop the ransomware attack in the middle of it happening. Like I've, I've heard stories of, but is it, is it, is it, is it just part of our life now that we just, you know, is it really going to kill the reputation of a company if, if their server gets ransomwareed? Uh,
2: ransomware? Yeah. I, I wouldn't call it a reputation killer. i there. There will be, will be people who may not understand how easy it is to ransomware a company. And, you know, you can, be well protected and and this can still happen because of the sophistication of um, the ransomware groups because there's such a high payoff. They're highly motivated to to ransomware. They they make a ton Mm -hmm. of money at it. And so I think we brought up the reputation in that it can hurt your reputation a little bit, but it really shouldn't unless you were just totally lax on security, right? It really no, depend- I, it, it, It's one of those it depends answers. Like, why yeah, did it happen? Right. Um, I mean, you used to hear about, you know, the Amazon S3 misconfiguration issues. And a lot of those were user misconfiguration issues. And that's sloppy, right? That wasn't actually Amazon. That was the people who were configuring it, you know, as part of shared responsibility. You know, I think it really depends whether the reputation should be lessened and i think you can't control whether it re- lessens your uh, reputation if you're ransomware right i mean we could be I, ransomware I it,
1: yeah yeah i think a lot of it depends on the brand so if you're a pudding company yeah. and you get yeah. compromised like well they're a pudding company what do you expect but you know the, there was a caseya uh, software company that was ransomware this summer i think 1500 customers got uh, attacked as a result so They're a company that services managed service providers. And so they are sort of a point of entree to a ton of businesses. For them to get compromised was a huge deal. But if you're a putting company, probably not a huge deal. And so I think it really matters what space you're operating in.
0: It seems to me, too, that your reputation is is also won or lost or buoyed or... Or constrained, whatever the, the the words are, by how you respond to it as well, and how you sure. recover from it, right? And I I know we're going to talk about it in a bit, but you three had mentioned doing. I, I like what you had talked about when it comes to preparing. You you you've talked about a lot about how to prep for this and how to how to practice, and I like that. So maybe that's part of, you know, the work with your reputation to kind of to to mitigate the the loss of any. Uh, points or any rating points.
2: Yeah. So to Chris's point about, you know, having the ear password on, you know, you get ransomware, you have someone whose responsibility is maybe you need to let your customers or vendors know, you know, our system's down, we've been ransomware, but all your data is encrypted. And you, you know, so this is not, it will not be an issue that your data is compromised. And so that immediately gives them a measure of, Security and helps your reputation, right? Yep. That their data is not going to be extorted.
0: If if you don't deal with it for three or four days, like I had heard some some big firms not dealing with the ransomware for a while, it that could really hurt. That could really hurt what you're doing. Um, okay, so you've you've described what it does. You've described when how it's a, it's a series of attacks that a series of little steps that people take to try to get into your system and then slowly. Add um, commands to things slowly. Get in, worm them their way in. It's my understanding, and, and help me understand this. But this is actually, it starts by attacking the overall OS, your your Windows server, wherever it's located. It, it starts by getting into the kernels, into the actual operating system. There is that. Tr- that's true. Does it go into FileMaker Server itself? Is FileMaker Server an attack vector? Are files an attack vector as well? Describe describe along the on the in the things that we work with. Describe what is happening in a in a the this, this series of attacks. Sure.
3: Um, if I go back to the beginning of the, of how these things get to be, it, there's two huge attack vectors, right? One we already mentioned that's phishing. That's basically tricking people into divulging their, their credentials and, and who they are and whatnot, right? So that, that people can build the beginnings of, a, of an image and, and, and get into, into your organization. I'm not going to say infrastructure because it begins at getting into your organization. And, and the, the other second one is sort of related to that is, is credentials, right? Mm-hmm. Um, almost to a fault, most of these attacks come from credentials that are not protected by a second or a third factor, right? Because that's the easiest way. If I get a set of credentials, I can go turn around and, and try them out. But if, if those credentials are tied to a second factor where you got to have your phone or something else or a key, then, then that thwarts a lot of these these attacks, right? So th- that's in general how a lot of these attacks begin. Now, if we take it back to FileMaker Server, FileMaker Server can be, can be used as a tool uh, to, to attack. Right. Uh, But let's keep in mind that FileMaker server does not need to be attacked for it to be ransomware. Right. Uh, Because as we said in the beginning, ransomware really is is a denial of service type of attack um, that can then lead to to extortion. But all they need to do is to prevent you from using your files. Right. And, And if they can do that, they're successful. So they don't need to know FileMaker server. They don't need to get into your files. They, as long as they can prevent you from using them they they are they are already winning having said that just like any software there are things in filemaker that can be used right i if i can use a container fields to, to drop a, a piece of malware onto your machine and then then that that's a vector or, or that's a possibility right is it being actively used uh, probably not but it could be used that way if uh, if i um, if we talk about it, we had an interesting conversation about there was a recently a couple of days ago There was a vulnerability published and fixed in 19.4 and we discussed that a little bit internally at Solay And one of the one of the remarks I got from from one, one of my guys was yes But doesn't that doesn't the user have to be logged into Famic it to begin with for it to be used and I said yes But aren't all of our users logged in right? Um, so it's not like somebody needs to be able to force their way into it. all of our users are already logged in and who doesn't have one of those clients that who have users who keep uh, who basically don't log out at night right mm-hmm. they keep they, they log in for for days and weeks on end, right So if I can get on onto that machine for some in some way, now I have access to a, a live FileMaker session. I can do a bunch of stuff. So there, there's there's a million different vectors and possibilities of, of getting in there. The operating system has vulnerabilities. Every single piece of software has something somewhere. And the dark web is full of dictionaries, if you will, of, of these things, right? People can just pick and choose on, on how they, they attack. And that's exactly what they do. They they go scanning and they look for vulnerabilities, unpatched things. And Chris talked about this in, in the in in our presentations like keep up with the patching right that's that's one of the easy ways to to uh to put a speed bump on the road
2: the three main infiltration sources are to me it's really one but it's phishing patching you know unpatched issues and then um rdp and weak passwords but to me that's really one becker it's the people it's people <laughs> you know getting fished, not patching and having weak passwords
0: so. so if we remove people from this equation, your files are fine,
3: right? It, it Sometimes sometimes we joke at that, right? What is the most secure database? It's one that nobody has access to and it has no <laughs> records, right? Everything <laughs> after that is a compromise. Okay, so it starts it
0: starts at the OS. Heidi, you mentioned the three, the, uh, phishing, patching, and the um, RDP access, right? Weak passwords, uh, yeah. The week for weak week passwords. Those are three ways to get into the actual OS, and then I think I, I heard one of you mention that what a uh, an attack process could do is get find your backups wherever they're located, find your actual live file wherever it's located, and start to. This is what I'm. I'm a little bit. Maybe I'm just not clear on. A, a ransomware person could say, "I'm going to just lock up the whole system," or they could actually encrypt the files. Is that? Is that? Are those two routes, or is it? Is it just? they're just gonna lock up the whole system and, and move on. Are they gonna actually try to get to my FileMaker files and
3: try to get the data out of there? Or, or lock those up so that they can't be used? I guess the the old style of attacks was really all about encrypting the files so that you couldn't do anything with that, right? Uh, they can try to lock the machine and, and they do, but as, as Chris and Heidi mentioned, ransomware has evolved so that they that there definitely is a an extraction part to it right they, they will try to get the data out because why the hell not if they can right so um, because now they have it they can they have it on their premise they can take all their sweet time that they want to to see if they can get into it and and, and what's in it there's different flavors obviously to uh, these ransomware attacks um, but the sophisticated ones will lock you out encrypt your files and and try to siphon off your your data and anything else that's useful.
0: I heard from somewhere else that it's that FileMaker files cannot be encrypted while they're open. Is that is that true? Is that a unique part of FileMaker? Uh,
3: it, it, it's it, it's um, <laughs> they they can um, yeah. but but it, it takes a, a somewhat a, I was going to say a level of sophistication. It's not even that hard. Um, what we're talking about here is that when FileMaker server hosts a file, it has a lock on that file, mm-hmm. right? So, And that's a signal to the operating system and to the file system that nothing else should be able to touch it because FileMaker server owns it for that, for that time, right? So if you have a dumb ransomware agent, uh, it'll try to use the file system and it'll try to say, hey, let's encrypt this file. And the operating system will tell it, no, you can't. Somebody has a lock on that, right? And, and if the ransomware is dumb, it'll move on. Unfortunately, ransomware isn't always dumb. There's ways to, to release that lock that FileMaker server has. Uh, or, or if they're sophisticated enough, uh, they can shut down the FileMaker server service, right? As as you may recall, there is no password required for telling the FileMaker server service to stop. Hmm. Uh, there's password required to close a file, but there's no password required to stop the service. So uh, if I'm sophisticated enough, I'll just shut down the service and and then move on to encrypt the file. So... The fact that FileMaker Server has a lock on the file can protect against some types of ransomware attacks, but don't count on it.
1: I guess I would add one thing, and that is that there is so much money flowing to these groups that they are in a perpetual state of building a better mouse trap. And so, something that stops them today, they're going to probably figure out a way around and have it not stop them next week. So, just because you you know we have certain things going for us in the present doesn't mean they're going to continue to be protective and so I, I think we should assume the worst case scenario and behave accordingly
0: does you mentioned that one of the ways of getting in is the phishing method where um, I a filemaker user has their sit there they' they're logged into the file and they go overnight and someone has the the ransomware attacker has gotten control of their system and can then use that tunnel because the, the file is open. Is that right, Wim? That's what you mentioned is a, is a way to get in. Is that It can right? also get in through email, into the network through email. Yeah. That's right. That's what phishing is. So, so, so the fact that there, it sounds like to me that you're, you're, you're suggesting that having a file open, a FileMaker file open is a way into that server machine so that I can start messing around with it,
3: is that right? Potentially, right? It's it's a bit of an unlikely one, but but it is one. It's one of the main reasons, for instance, that the, the sample file that comes with FileMaker Server uh, is now by default read-only uh, because it was such an obvious attack vector, uh, <laughs> not for ransomware necessarily, but if I wanted to take down your server and you had a default installation, old style, not these days anymore, uh, and you still had the, 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 uh, the FileMaker Server sample file, I could just go in, uh, create a script that would loop and create a record and put the King James Bible in every single record 100 million times, right? It would take your server down. I wouldn't break into your file. I wouldn't steal your stuff, but you wouldn't be able to use it, right? Yeah. And that's so the essence of what Ransomware tries to do. You also you
0: mentioned, Heidi, that the, the, the email is a, is a part of this. Does, do you mean that um, me sitting on the server machine opening an email that looks fishy Oh, you shouldn't
2: be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You so, shouldn't be opening email on a, on a server machine.
0: <laughs> but, but you actually had in your mind on my client, on my machine, mm. while a FileMaker file is open, clicking on that email, and that can cause um, the uh, beginnings of an attack onto my server.
2: Yeah, but you don't even have to have the FileMaker file open, right? Okay. When, I, mean, mm-hmm. I mean, it would just... You know, if you're connected to the network,
3: and Heidi, Heidi mentioned RDP as one of the big ones, right? How many of us don't have an RDP session to a filemaker server at least once a day, right? And for, for convenience' sake, how many of us don't use like a map drive, like we're mapping a one of our local drives oh, into yeah. into the RDP sessions, right? So so now if I'm getting fished and malware on my laptop. I may be infecting that remote server, right? Because right. my laptop has a jump point into into something else. That that's how these things spread, right? Um, um, and, 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 and maybe
2: even my drive uh, has a map drive to the filemaker server backups because I'm, you know, I'm one of the developers and I have access to those backups, right? Exactly. And I get fished, and I'm not ashamed of it, but I do.
0: But I won't. <laughs> So you mentioned, okay. All right, I'm still trying to make sure I fully understand this. Um, and my question just escaped my head. When you mentioned a while back that that a container field could be a, an issue, I have two questions for any of you. Um, actually, I don't know who mentioned that, sorry. And 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 um, Chris, you had talked about encryption at rest. Encryption at rest is one of the security features of, of FileMaker, of the F- Claris FileMaker platform. Are, do all of the other uh, features, the, the security features that we use, do they continue to inhibit um, this, this, uh, this uh, from happening to us? Like changing passwords every 30 days or, um, you know, full access or disabling the guest account. Are, are, are those things that F- Claris has closed down over the years that can prevent these from happening?
1: There are commercially available password cracking tools, and they're not just for FileMaker. They're for a variety of things. You can break into Oracle databases or Excel spreadsheets or you know what have you. You know, Pick your file. There's a cracking tool out there for it. And so you could be changing your admin password every 30 days, and if someone exfiltrates your file and gains physical custody of the file, they can run it through a cracking tool and basically wipe the admin password and just get in with admin blank.
3: And over the years, um, the Clarus platform has has migrated more and more towards the uh, so sort of like the, the the least privileged uh, default <laughs> setting, right? So, uh, call it zero trust if you want, and that's a good thing, right? Because it means that as developer, we have to explicitly turn things on instead of having to remember to turn them off uh, if we if we don't want them. But so much depends on on how the developer then then uses the the, the features and and enables things and and not enables things, right? So. The default settings on, on Claris these days are actually pretty good. Do they prevent against these things? Uh, to some extent. It's like what were some of the things we talked about in the beginning. The shared responsibility is a real thing, right? Because Claris cannot anticipate everything that any developer will do with the platform. Uh, and some of the things will, will be insecure, right? We see so many solutions, for instance, that use auto-login uh, to then try and capture the user and kick them back out. In itself that that is one of the most insecure things because you put, you could potentially le- let the world into your solution only to try and catch them and and kick them back out right so plenty of opportunity to poke around and figure out what uh, what could be wrong so clearly the way that we develop the play, the, the way that we deploy we have to continuously Practice good hygiene on these things, right? And it's uh, um, as as Heidi and Chris have said, these things evolve over time. Our our understanding of these things uh, changes, and and so by definition, the way that we 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 respond to them. A lot
0: of people ask me about uh, web viewers and JavaScript. Is there any potential problem in that in that avenue? Do any of you know of any ways that a JavaScript injected into a web viewer could cause havoc? in in this
1: regard are you familiar with uh S N Y K. No. so that is a utility i guess i'd call it basically it keeps track of uh library dependencies and if any sort of uh security issue has been reported in any of them you can basically point a your url at this thing and it'll scan it and say oh you're using this library there's a problem with that you should be upgrading that library and so to the extent that you're, you know, if you're just writing your own stuff, it's probably not terribly useful for you. But if you are leaning on existing libraries and have dependencies in there, um, that's one tool that you can use to check and make sure that you have good code hygiene. Is it likely that you're going to have your FileMaker database broken into by that vector? I don't think so. Even the uh, latest uh, security vulnerability that David Haman wrote up Is it theoretically possible? Yeah. Is this like a genuine risk if you're not, you know, doing XML import or, you know, using some of the XML features, the the chance is pretty remote. You know, there's always some distance between what's theoretically possible and what is an actual pragmatic risk.
0: So in other words, JavaScript for FileMaker is perfect and we don't have to worry about it at all, right? Right? I mean... You said yeah, it, Chris, exactly and exactly. I see I see Wim nodding, so he agrees. So there, there, that's said, right? <laughs> All right. So we've talked a lot about the about the ways it could get in, and I'm I'm seeing a clear picture of it. It's it's really about getting into the operating system and and mucking it up in in whatever way, f- encrypting the whole thing, get or using tools to further get into the files. Wipe out your backups. I suppose the 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 Claris backup progression system is really well known. It's been talked about. So some hacker could study that and then find ways to again wipe out all the backups that are in the default folder, or um, get to the actual place where the live folder files are and and mess. Mess them up, or when, as you said, take down FileMaker server itself, the service. So there's a lot of stuff here. You, you three, both, all of you talked about ways to just keep your eye on this and keep your your head thinking about this. So I want to shift to that, and I want to talk about that. And I think uh, Heidi, you you had this great phrase, "Know your normal." Um, I would love for you to speak to that. What does "Know your normal" mean, and what do you do with knowing your normal?
2: All right, so know your normal, that FRSM actually came from WimDacourt, I believe. Um, and then I wanted to clarify uh, that, you know, yes, it can get into the OS, but it can also get below the OS. And so in the kernel. So um, and that's another thing we looked at. You know, again, there's these different levels of sophistication of ransomware developers and companies of what they can do. Um, And the goal is to put, you know, some speed bumps in the way of the lower ones, you know, if that's who attacks you and uh, just keep putting speed bumps. So what was your question again? The know your normal. Yeah. So know your normal uh, means know what the normal state of your infrastructure is, like, you know, how much disk space you're using in general, you know, and processor, You know, so if you you can see what's abnormal, you know, or, or what's getting uh, logged in your events, you know, so you can see what is your normal situation. So if something and you're monitoring and you're logging, you know, if something abnormal comes in, maybe you can alert to it or you can notice it. And so that's, that's it's your aphorism, William. anything else to add to that? It's knowing what your normal situation is. And so you can detect abnormalities. And I would add one other thing is that You know a lot of the automated machine learning security mechanisms i think um uh, i can't remember what the windows one is called i don't think it's defender but you know that's what they're doing is they're training on data so they can see what's the normal and if there's an abnormality they can alert on it and so they're literally training on what's the normal and then they detect something that's not normal and it might be a false positive, but you know it's 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 that same
3: rubric. Just to emphasize what you're saying, because um, you're making all, all the all, all very good points, um, and, and using ML and AI for these things is is a natural progression, right? And uh, I have it on my. On my to-do list for my copious spare time to to uh, to, to uh, do some of that with uh, with the FileMaker server event logs and, and the stats log and stuff because it's such a natural fit right um, because every deployment is slightly different um, and it takes years of experience for most people to to be able to read something like an event log and make sense of it right we can all mm-hmm. read it that's not a problem yeah. but making sense of it is is what what the trouble is right so. If we can have machines look for for the um, for the patterns, because this is all about pattern matching, right? It's it's about finding patterns yeah. and then and then finding the anti-pattern and say, look, this is weird. We should have a look at that and get the alerts. And it really all starts with making sure that you collect all the right information, right? FileMaker Server gives us the ability to to log a bunch of stuff. So does the operating system. So do many of your devices. So make sure that they do right, and, and store them off somewhere. Heidi, in, in our slides that we typically present with this, talks about this extensively. M- make sure that that, that that you not only log them, but that you, you uh, write them off to somewhere, right? Uh, because, yeah. and, and Heidi, you can tell the story about uh, about the, the, the stuff that you learned at, at DefCom about. Uh,
2: we, we saw this session, I just happened to see this, it was Windows event logging. I thought, well, oh, maybe we'll find some small useful tidbit from this session. And we basically were taking screenshots of it the whole time, which is good because um, he doesn't have a video out there of, oh, we should log this. We should log that. His number one advice was make sure you increase the default log size on Windows. You know, no incident responder says, I wonder what I'm going to do with all these logs, because, you know, if, if you don't log something, you don't have that information. If you don't log something, you can't get alerted. If somebody is escalating privileges or trying to access some hidden file, you know, and so a lot of it was about, you know, logging these different changes of privileges or accessing shared files or doing things that are that are abnormal, possibly, and alerting so you can double check them. And then, yeah. of course, sending them off to a log aggregator so they don't get, you know, compromised if someone gets in there. Um, but yeah, the guy's name was Malware Jake. We like that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: If this is your first prompt to to consider logging and doing that, uh, the, the good news is that you'll get so many other benefits from that, right? Because yeah. Uh, yeah. if you if you have the logs, it makes your troubleshooting easier. It makes your performance profiling of your solutions much easier. You'll you'll fall in love with with the logs, right? Because there's <laughs> so, so much good stuff in there. And I know I'm weird, but uh, that's my hope for everybody.
0: That's hilarious. Logs
3: in the whim who loves them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I read my I read my logs with my morning coffee. <laughs> well, but that I mean that's that's a good point.
0: You you know until AI can pick this up and handle it for you, you should be looking at them. How often do you look at your event logs? Every day, a couple times a day. Do you? Glance at them before you go to a new another meeting. What do you
3: do? It, in my case, I, I obviously have tools that monitor my logs, right? Okay, and I yeah. have configured them. Zabix. And Zabbix is the classic one because it's 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 available and there's plenty of good resources in our okay. community. Once you learn what what your normal is about your specific deployment, you can say. I seem to have trouble with my progressive backups, right? So I want to keep an eye on that. So every event that has to do with progressive backups failing, I want to know about that. I want to get something in my Slack channel, or I want to get an email or send me a text on my phone, right? So so these kinds of things. So you don't need to be reading the raw logs every single time. You will at some point just to get a sense for what's there, uh, because at some point you'll have to learn what's in there uh, to to get to that state of uh, knowing your normal. But But yeah, they're your best friends, I swear. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. They're, they're also a point of vulnerability because sophisticated malware will know that its activities are being logged and can actually go and modify the event logs to try and cover its tracks. And so when you you know get into that level of threat, then it, it it's almost a necessity that you get into log aggregation tools so that you're harvesting these logs off and even if they get compromised that you still have the original record.
0: Man, Chris, you are just full of good news. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
3: It's a, a lay, it's a layered defense, right because yeah. what, what Chris is saying is that if you have a log aggregator then then you can put monitoring on that one uh, right because then it can alert you to say I haven't seen any log events come in in the last uh, 15 minutes or I detect that that events have been deleted, right My, The size yeah. of that log file is now smaller. So it's it's very much a layered defense. Just like the, the attack is a multi-layered attack, the defense equally has to be multi, has to contain those multiple layers and And different uh, different uh, disciplines, and so build a team around that
0: chris you 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 just mentioned that the log files themselves could be altered by a sophisticated attack. is there a it but but i I missed it, but is there a is there a point when a log is written that you could immediately extract it out using a tool um, or is there is there is there like a split second or do you have some time to be able to get that out before it potentially gets altered?
1: So there are log aggregation tools, and I'm not crystal clear on the timing of it, but I think that you can basically echo your log events to the aggregator rather than say, you know, every hour I'm going to grab that sucker. But uh, so the class of tool is called a SIEM or a SIM. I've heard it pronounced both, both ways. It's a security incident and event manager. And so some of this stuff doesn't look suspicious if you're just looking at a single server, but if you see that, hey, the domain controller jumped onto this local server and created a new account and then it escalated the privileges on that account and now it's accessing a hidden share you know, from some other server, you know these things are spanning two or three machines. And if you're only seeing part of the transactions, they may not rise to the level of that looks concerning. But when you look at them um, you know, with this bird's eye view and seeing this actual movement traversing across your network resources, then it becomes a problem. And the great thing about scene tools is that they can have templates to say, hey, if you see this pattern of actions, you know, be they on one machine or across multiple machines, send up a flare and let people know something's going on. And so that is a great way to, A, capture all your stuff and find anything that looks suspicious and then actually do alerting on it. And so... It's not that different from Zabbix because Zabbix will do alerting. You know, if it sees, say, a server go down or something like that, it'll give you a heads up. It has the ability to look for patterns and alert on that as opposed to just is this event true or false. And so it's a bit more sophisticated than a straight up monitoring tool. And then that can work in conjunction with a SOAR, which is a security orchestration response tool. And so it can say, hey, if this happens, maybe we want to shut down some ports on our, you know, edge router or something like that. And so you can have a pre-programmed response. You know, the the ransomware gangs typically tend to attack in off hours, you know, after six o'clock on a Friday or on a long holiday weekend or something like that. And so they like to make a move when there are fewer resources, you know, watching the, the hen house, as it were. And so if you can sort of say, okay, if this happens and this happens, sort of pregame your responses and have those be automated to an extent, you know, you're that much farther ahead when they hit you in off hours. Um, Jeremy,
2: that was a good question about the timing, though, of the logs. If something, you know, if that tries to compromise the logs right as it could alert you, we, we should look into that, uh, Chris, a little bit.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: You know, I think uh, I think a lot about this. You mentioned, Chris, you mentioned Auto and um, there are other tools like that. But Auto is built on this idea that you have a development server and a um, production server. Is there any issues with servers being connected that could escalate this uh, r- ransomware attack problem even more? If they attack my production server... At least I have the development server. I don't have the data, which is unfortunate. And so maybe my whole point is moot. But are there connections that are there connections between servers? Is that a is that a problem that could ex- exasperate this?
3: The the short answer is any connection between any two pieces of infrastructure is a is suspect or can wow. be abused for for this purpose, right? Okay. Um, the more nuanced answer is that it kind of depends on on the type and nature of that connection, right? If it's an API connection, for instance. It's much more limited in its scope. It, it can only do so much, right? And and it needs different kinds of authentication to be able to do that. If it's a a file share, that's sort of like the worst case, right? Because these 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 are easy. Because if I can get onto a machine as a somewhat privileged user, I get access to all the shares across the whole network that that user has access to. Um, and because they're file shares, they they use the file system. It's kind of easy to move files around and 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 distribute my pieces of malware, right? So obviously, from a, from a point of view of stitching systems and piece of infrastructure together, you want to think that that should be the reflex, right? You want to think about the number of connection points that you that you create and that you sustain. Uh, the best kinds are the ones that you only instantiate the moment you need them and then you tear them back down, right? They shouldn't persist. That, Which that's is- the golden rule.
0: That's what Auto does and other tools. There are only the connection only happens at the point of migration, right? It's not a persistent connection, I believe. So that's good. To that's good.
2: I will say though, and I I don't think you saw this one, when but I showed at our DEF CON recap a an example of a a phishing attack with um, on the I think it was on the Azure AD infrastructure, and they did you know use the API to go in and escalate privileges and move laterally and increase their scope and all this kind of stuff. So it can happen, right? It's just not. It,
3: it's, it, it absolutely mm-hmm. can happen, right? Yeah. Because it's one of the things that uh, internally at Soliant we pay a lot of attention to and yeah. we started adopting LastPass to, to store all the credentials and, instead of putting them on a wiki, right? Or, or worst case, putting them on a text file because who, who doesn't have a text file somewhere that has some AWS credentials in there, right? Yeah. Because you need them in a hurry, right? So, so these are the things that the attackers, when they burrow and look at your network, that's what they're looking for, right? Because if they can find API credentials that way, they can now say, okay, like you said, Heidi, if they can now make calls to, to that uh, to that API, maybe elevate their 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 rights that way, right? Or or, yep. or take yours down for and this, prevent you from yeah. responding.
2: This one was a phishing email with the Microsoft domain where it said, you know, you get a free terabyte of storage, you know, and you go in and you put in your, uh, I think you put in your MFA or whatever code they send. And, uh, you know, then they
1: were in. Go ahead, finish your thought. sorry, they were in.
2: That was the end, they were in. Okay,
1: <laughs> okay so uh, I just wanted to add one point onto the last topic we were just on, which is that if you were to just Google SMB hacking, you will find that the uh, you know samba itself is a, a attack surface and a vulnerability point and so the more shares you have sitting on your network the the worse off you are in terms of you know thwarting lateral movement
0: all right so yes doom and gloom doom and gloom doom and gloom all this stuff let's we did. We have talked about some some strategies that prevent this yeah. from happening. What What I'd like to 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 shift and just talk about is sort of the 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 business side of this. Um, you I think you've mentioned you've mentioned the practice. I want to want to talk about that, but I also would love to talk about how do you prep your clients for this? If I'm hosting a hundred um, clients' files, they're just using me as the host. They're my clients. How do I prep them for this for 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 this? What re- what recommendations do you have for the hosting provider to talk to their clients about this real world issue or if they ask a the question, right? Well, that's actually a good point. Like, should you should you wait till they ask or should you just bring this up as part of your standard sales pitch?
3: I'll actually take one step back and, and I'll, I'll get into the hosting answer to that. but as as developers and consultants, I think we can we can we can begin by having that conversation with our clients, right? We don't need to wait until they come to us. It, I think it's part of what we do to help them prepare and think about these things. Just like we just like we talk to them about backup strategies and disaster recovery strategies and business continuity, mm-hmm and that's what what Heidi mentioned with the hurricane, with the uh, with the t- tornado right it's a, i think because we know of these things we can be really helpful to our clients to initiate that conversation and see what kind of appetite they have around that have they thought about this do they want to talk about this what are the small things we can do to uh, to help them along along the, along the way right so even if we don't know all the ins and outs of setting up a perfect disaster recovery plan or or a response plan for for ransomware, we, and we don't need to. I guess it's part of my my message, right? We, I, we don't clearly expect all the pharma developers to become experts at at security and hardening servers, and that's not the point, right? The point is that once we're aware, we can. We can look for people who who know these things, right? There there are services out there. There's people that that can help them think through this problem and come up with with a with a solid plan. If you happen to host files for your clients, like like the the hosting providers do, clearly you must have a plan, right? Because obviously, when when you get attacked, then your clients go down. We talked about this a little bit when when we said like service providers like Airtable, they the impact of of them being being compromised is much bigger because they take down all their clients. For any hosting provider on the FileMaker side, it's the same the scale is, is smaller, but it's, it's the same deal, right? And I would love for every single hosting provider to have something on their website that to say to acknowledge the fact that some something like that is out there, right? They I don't expect them to fully lay out their plans because their plans need to be flexible and they have to have the leeway to 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 change them at will but just to acknowledge the fact that, that, they, that there's something like that and that they have a plan, right? Um, and obviously, whenever you're a service provider, communication, what we talked about, the communication plan is critical, right? Um, you, you have to let your customers know ASAP that something is up so that they can do their own thing and potentially help them, right? Like uh, uh, find a way to automate giving them access to a backup or, or anything, mm-hmm. anything small like that.
1: I agree with all that. And I think that, you know, as I I think many of us are trusted advisors for the clients we work for. And I think a way to get the ball rolling on this conversation and to get them to take it seriously and really look at it uh, is to ask them a series of questions like uh, if you get attacked, what does your cybersecurity insurance provider want to have happen? Will you pay the ransom? Will you not pay the ransom? A lot of people aren't going to know the answer to that off the top of their head. And they're like, oh, I should probably know that. Um, get their uh, legal counsel in there. Do you have any service level agreements that require notification or, you know, any sort of mitigation steps to happen? They, you know, as soon as you get legal involved, whose job it is to protect against risk, all of a sudden they're going to go off, you know, s- setting alarms. Uh, Do you know the number for the nearest FBI field office to loop them in? And as soon as you start getting into, here's all these parties you have to engage. Your, you know, managed service provider probably needs to be in this conversation. They're going to realize they do not have a handle on this situation, and that should make them uncomfortable. And hopefully, they take steps to uh, get those question answers and formulate a response plan. And so, I think just by asking a handful of questions like that. it would serve to get the ball rolling in a lot of organizations and get the people at the appropriate level engaged on the problem.
2: Maybe, you know, because they're I mean, also. Hopefully, yes. They, I mean, yeah, be completely because, derelict. you know, they often think and th- and that is one of the reasons that we do try to, you know, scare a little bit of this is something that overlaps with the sweet spot of FileMaker's demographics of, you know, small, medium businesses is that you know people are busy business owners are busy and sometimes it's yeah i need to deal with that you know it doesn't happen as soon as it probably should so um, you can try
1: here's and, a great motivator
0: yeah it, it seems to me like because of this we we need to also really insist on the best practices of security no auto logins no people sharing the same accounts. What other, what other things do we need to insist on to lower the logging out every night? I mean, is, are those things that you feel like you need to insist upon?
2: Fishing training.
0: Oh, fishing training. Okay. Basic fishing training,
2: whether it's, you know, done by someone like, you know, your consultant or, you know, you hire a no before some, you know.
3: We, we talked about phishing. We talked about the, um, the credentials, right? Because that's what phishings are, are after, building a profile of the user, knowing what the user has access to, and then try to, to trick the user in, in divulging their, their credentials. Things like multi-factor authentication clearly is a, is a big protection against that. And as Famic developers, being aware that you can use multi-factor authentication natively against Pharmaca files can help have that conversation, right? Where we say Pharmaca fits in, right? Pharmaca is, is not the odd duck that will prevent you from going there. Um, you can use multi-factor authentication uh, and log people in into your, your solutions like that. FileMaker even allows completely passwordless authentication into FileMaker. How many developers have experimented with that? Very few, I would imagine. But these are the kinds of things that we hope to get people interested in and say, so like, oh, i got to set up and, and pay attention to that. That's interesting because it can help in the overall strategy. The things that we just joked about, right? Don't use the server as a desktop, right? It's a it's, a, it's we, we know that many do, uh, and there's good reasons to do it sometimes, but try to limit it, right? And if you do it, it's like with anything that is best practice, right? It's one, understanding what the best practice is. And two, if you deviate from that, do it deliberately, right? Do it as part of a process that you think about it, document it, you evaluate the risk and say, I understand the risk, I'm going to do it or not do it. And if you do it, then at least it's, it's, a, it's a deliberate effort instead of just a, a reflex out of convenience.
2: Another thing, um, you know, we always talk about least privilege, you know, uh, setting things up with least privilege. But I also think least mapping, like if you don't need to have your, you know, any server or client, if you don't need to have something mapped, don't have it mapped because, you know, if you do get infected, that's just another
3: jump point agreed and it's inconvenient right because it means that if i do an, an rdp session and i need to move a file there i don't have my map drives probably yeah. i'll have to log uh, log off map the drive log back in and and do it Th- that's the kind of struggle that that we're yeah. up against right we go yep. like oh yeah next time i'll i'll just leave that darn map drive on already right yeah. it's uh, it, that that's how they get you
0: you all mentioned the the idea of prepping your team for this kind of stuff let's let's walk through what a development shop, or I guess a one-person team, or or whatever, can do to to kind of like a fire drill at school. You know, um, what what roles are in play? I think you've mentioned some already, but let's list them in this in this section specifically. Uh, what roles are there, and you know, do you practice? Do you need to practice this often?
2: This is for a response if you are in. Yeah, for,
0: sorry for a response. Yes,
2: I mean to me, the first thing you want to do is. Uh, I, I think before you even start calling people is disconnect everything because it's it's you who's hurt the most and the faster that you can disconnect and unmap and stop the spread, the you know the
0: less damage something can do. I've actually um, someone here at, at Proofgeist um, reported that he was able to stop an attack in progress. Some security alert he got on his phone. I don't think it was recent, it was a while back, but it was it was something that he was able to 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 stop, like you said, shut down, kick that kick the, the, the service, the the ransomware attack out thing, whatever that is, kick it out and make sure he got the latest backups before. Have you heard of that happening? Is that is that like a likely
3: scenario that that, that, that would happen? I wouldn't call it likely, uh, but but it's it's an ideal scenario, right? Okay. Yeah. It, it ties into everything that we talked about. If you know you're normal, and if you're set up to monitor your normal, and something abnormal happens, and you get an alert, that's perfect, right? That's exactly the kind of thing that that you would strive to 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 work towards. Uh, now, of course, like I said, the the, the actual encryption part of it and that's probably where the alert came from that's unusual activity for sure disk activity it's this processor activity going on that's over and beyond what what you'd expect if you can stop that it's not as simple as restoring to a backup right because you have to walk that whole thing back you, you got to figure out how this this thing got on my machine to begin with mm-hmm. uh, H- Heidi mentioned the, the stats in the beginning right if you're if you have been malware attacked there's an 80 percent chance that that it'll happen again
2: if you pay, if you pay right
3: yeah if you pay yeah Uh, because why not right like it's they've already proven that they can do it and if you haven't shut it down and it's the shutting down is not restoring a backup right it's like figuring out forensically how does this happen and because it's such a multi-layer attack that that maybe spans months and maybe came in from one of your smart doorbells into your file server into like you don't know right it's like You've got to walk it back, and if you don't know how to walk it back, can you even trust what you have, right? Uh, that's part of that response plan as well. You probably need a somewhat isolated environment to continue your business that has no connections whatsoever with anything else you have at that moment in time.
0: I suppose, too, you could immediately you could stop that and in our virtual environment just trash that virtual machine and start up a new one, Um after you've gotten the latest backups. Would, would that solve a lot of the problems too? I mean, if you're wiping out the
3: virtual machine, you don't have anything to worry about. On, on it, that machine, no. And it certainly helps from the business continui- continuity point of view, right? Like if you can isolate a new environment, you can continue with your business. Yeah. That solves that problem, right? It lessens the the, 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 the penalty that you'll have. I think Heidi has a, a great stat on that. on that. What was it? How long does a, a typical outage last?
1: it was
3: 15 days
1: 15 days okay. 15 days of downtime and so i i think you know like most of the answers it depends right if you are yeah. a service provider of some sort maybe you are providing e-commerce systems to your clients you have to prioritize getting those people back up and running because they're going to be screaming bloody murder and so if the trade-off is you get them up and running on something as soon as possible But by doing so, you lose maybe the morning's data or something like that. You know, you have to weigh these priorities, like what's more important, getting these people to stop screaming or making sure we have everything, you know, with full integrity and we've made sure that we've cleansed our systems, but we were down for three days. You know, you have these trade-offs you have to work through and figure out, Okay, what's most important here?
2: I think average is always a misleading, right, because you know, most companies cannot be down that long, right? So they're either paying or they're, you know. And so um, I think that's
3: a, that's a little bit skewed. I think it's probably the median is a lot lower. It it, it goes to to Chris's points about uh, starting the conversation with the clients, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, it, it's the same with disaster recovery, right? It's uh, the the questions that that I I would want to lead on with the clients is like, how much data are you willing to lose, and how long can you last without your systems? Yeah. The answers to those questions will determine how much effort and money to, to pump into not and not making it so or making it so, right? So that you have alternatives in place. Uh, if, the, if the client says, I don't care if I don't have my system for a month because I can do everything on, on pen and paper tomorrow, well, that's fine, right? It means it's probably less of a priority for them to spend a lot of money in, in, the, in, in building a good alternative to, uh, to make sure that they can be up and running.
1: Yeah, think if you're a hospital and all of a sudden you don't have access to your patient records. That's a huge problem.
3: All right. So let's talk about the practice.
0: Do you do you have a team of people that are, are ready to respond to this? Do they know do they know their roles? Do they do you practice this yeah once in a while? We
2: should. Right? Right, Wim? Do yeah. you guys practice? Uh,
1: Every day. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's part of it is figuring out, okay, what are the tasks that need to be done? You know, who talks to the cyber insurance person? Who's going to call the FBI? Do we need Who's to have somebody everything? communicating with our clients? You know, you have to figure out all these tasks that need to happen. And, you know, someone has to actually fix the technical issues. So there's going to be someone, you know, you know, rolling up their sleeves and getting their hands dirty. So what are all the jobs that need to be done? Who's going to do them? In what order of priority should they be done? And then you can sort of from that back into a staffing plan. And what happens if someone's on vacation or are there any people who, you know, have silos of knowledge that if they're out is going to be a huge wrench in the
3: works? Absolutely. And and definitely we're talking about a team, right? This is not a single person kind of task because somebody will need to communicate. Like, uh, like we said, somebody will need to, as Heidi said, go and unplug all the stuff and make sure that everything's powered down. At the same time, somebody has to set up whatever new server there is to set up. Um, and every single task has to have its own procedure, right? If, if I'm the one tasked with setting up a new server, do I know where the backups are? Do I know where the installers are? Do I know where my license key is, right? Do I have the credentials uh, to, to, to get all of that stuff? So all of that needs to be written down so that I, that ideally, all that needs to happen is that I open my drawer, gets out get out my procedure, and start working my procedure, right? And that's exactly the kind of thing that you need to practice, because invariably, say six months from now, if you, if, if I write a procedure now, and six months from now I go to my procedure and say whatever is still valid, my license key has changed, right? Uh, or, 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 my file server is now a different machine, uh, something like that. So, so these are the kind of things that, when you practice, you need to validate that everything is still valid and, and that that it's still usable and workable.
1: Yeah, I think the the crucial thing there is to develop a checklist, because when this all goes sideways and you have to move very quickly, you don't want to be winging it. You want to make sure that every step has been thought through and that you don't miss a step.
2: And like we said, these, these checklists are valuable. You know, if you take out the FBI and it's not a ransomware attack, and et cetera, the checklist um, can be used for other situations as well. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of value in having these you know, response and recovery uh, for, you know, subsets of things you need to do for any server issue.
0: Is this unique to each client, to each um, hosting provider, or is it a pretty generalized list?
2: I think it's a generalized list with specific details, right, for each hosting provider, right? Like
0: what they're, yeah. Do do any of you have that list
3: available on your site? (laughs) We have procedures that that we have written over the past. We don't make them available on on our websites. Um, uh, Like Heidi said, they are they are general. Big parts of it are general. Like for instance, the the fact that you know where where your installers are in your license keys, right? Um, The same thing is like. I don't know. You can make it as detailed as here's how you install Farmeka server, right? Mm-hmm. And and you you've got to drop these plugins in that location uh, and and enable these schedules and whatnot. And here's the the backup of the schedules. So these are the things that are specific, um, but they are in that step by step, right? So, I'm sorry, the Farmeka server installation part of that checklist, in general, and as Heidi said, can be reused for
0: mm-hmm. for plain
3: backup and restore uh, functionality.
0: Well, this is um, you know this is serious business. It it seems like you know I know Wim. He and I have talked a lot in all over the the filemaker community. Wim has used the word uh, the phrase premature optimization. Sounds like this is not anywhere near that. It is like a vital part of what we do as supporting the Claris Filemaker platform for our customers. It it really needs to be
1: thought through. You agree to that, I assume? Yes, no denial there. But I mean, to your, to We're your all earlier our question, heads. I Can't mean, hear it. <laughs> the, the, the sheer variety of companies and organizations that use FileMaker would dictate a pretty significant, you know, if I'm a manufacturer whose production lines are down and it's going to cost me $10,000 an hour to have my machines idle, I will have different priorities than a hospital or no. than, you know, a Garbage processing plant, or something like that, and so, uh, as Wim said, you know, the essentials of restoring your filemaker server are going to be pretty similar, but everything outside that is going to be very different depending on what your responsibilities are to your clientele, and you know, hmm. any legal uh, regulations that come into play, and so forth.
0: How does how does this whole thing make you feel? Is it is it an energizing thing? Like you're gonna you're gonna do the best you can and you're gonna overcome this does it scare you a little bit I know you know Chris you <laughs> I've uh, accused you of bringing the doom and gloom but um, <laughs> it, what how does this make you feel is it is it just another ch- challenge to
1: beat um, or does it scare you for me personally it's terrifying the level of of professionalization we see in the ransomware community. If you like fire up a Tor browser and go poking around the dark web, I mean, these people are very brazenly advertising how great their ransomware is and how much faster it is than one of their competitive pieces of ransomware. There are dozens and dozens of organizations out there who say, hey, if you want to, you know, drop a dime on your employer, you know, we'll give you a piece of the action. They're actively recruiting people to, Breach their own employer. And so, you know, it, it's terrifying in that regard, and that this seems like a problem that's going to get worse before it gets better. There have yeah. been some recent uh, enforcement actions internationally where they're starting to go after some of these people, but, you know, it remains to be seen if that's going to make any sort of significant dent in these activities. They seem to be picking up speed, not lessening speed. Yeah. Okay.
0: What is uh, Stephen Blackwell's affirmation? It's uh, the forces of evil are well funded. But okay, but it's but I'm glad that you're coming on this podcast and you have shared with other in other venues and you have plans to do more because it's important to get this out there. I don't think it doesn't feel like this is something that should be talked about once and and it's over with. It it kind of needs to be in the forums and in the presentations quite a bit until we all get our head around this and we're able to to actually you know prepare for for possibly an inevitable attack. So
1: It's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You know, if there's like the one most important thing you should do, to my mind, is turn on encryption at rest. You know, if exfiltration and publication of data is one of the pressure points they apply to force compliance with the ransom, then that, you know, we're the FileMaker people. We're the experts on that domain of ours. And so doing that one thing sort of takes that lever away from them. And then there's all, you know, all this other stuff we want to do to ensure, you know, a graceful recovery from having everything encrypted and stuff like that. And so we want to have immutable backups. We have good uh, recovery processes and things like that. But sort of working down from turn on ear before you do anything else, you know, we, we can get broader and broader and broader and, you know, help advise these people on a response plan and tell them, you know, here's how... You know, I would do this and maybe we even automate the creation of a new cloud-based server and setting it up and, you know, putting as much in place as we can to make that as speedy as possible. But, you know, to me, the most important thing is encrypt your darn database.
2: I think this is useful to add in there that um, we had a discussion today, you know, so you encrypt the database, but that encryption password is very, very important to secure, right? Because it is the key to your asset to your software system. And, you know, I think that every business who does encrypt their database um, should have some, you know, not just the password, but a backup to their password. And even, you know, depending on how vital it is to your business, you know, in a safety deposit box somewhere, you know, maybe not a piece of paper, maybe even on something that can't burn up just, you know, it's that important. And, you know, the other part of the conversation was about situations where, you know, people were holding that, that ear password from people because it is so important. It is the key to that castle, that your software asset. And so it's just really important to um, secure that ear as well, that ear password.
3: Uh, I'll I'll, reinforcing what Heidi and Chris are saying. And I like uh, uh, the the, the hierarchy there. Uh, Encrypting, absolutely, right? It's it's almost a zero effort. Great protection. And the rest comes down to to the best practices. Um, The same best practices that we've been talking about for a long time. Dedicate your FileMaker server to only FileMaker server. Minimize the number of things you do with it. Basically, all of these things that if you do enough of these, you're making it harder to be attacked that way, or at least... If, if other pieces of your infrastructure get attacked, then there's a bigger chance that that piece will survive. So it, it comes down to that. And we've been talking about these, these best practices for a long time. And I think ransomware has really made them a little more relevant and a little more urgent to pay attention to. And, and we have a great community, so um, so let's continue to talk about it and, and, and put our collective brainpower together to come up with, with good ways to, to think about these things and have conversations with our customers.
0: That's great. I I'm really glad that throughout the years, throughout the time that I've been part of FileMaker that you and Stephen Blackwell and and Chris and Heidi have been speaking about security best practices. At at first I think you were just talking about don't let anybody in your files who shouldn't get in there to get the data out, but it has naturally expanded into let's prevent your whole system from going down because it was attacked. It was it was, you know, ransomware was placed on it. So it, sent, it seems like the security practices are global. They apply, they, they're universal. They apply to all of the problems that we could have as um, working with FileMaker files and working with clients. So there's really no, it, you know, I know throughout the forums, throughout the, again, throughout my time, I've seen people like say, well, but I can do this auto login thing and it's just fine. It works just fine. My clients want it. It's easy, blah, blah, blah. And you and other people are just going against that every time, saying that's not the right way to go. And this is another reason that that is the case. Very good. Well, uh, you uh, three are are circling the uh, user groups, and uh, currently, and in the past. And uh, I'll link to the ones that I, you've done so far. And um, when I see of other ones, we'll we'll add it to the show notes. But it's it's important for you to be heard about this and look at your slides in the, in the video version of this at the user group. So, uh, Heidi, Chris, and Wim, thank you for joining me today. Uh, appreciate it. This was a good, I think it was a good discussion. Somebody just broke in, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> it <with> was ransomware <laughs> I think. Um, anyway, thank you for joining me today and, uh, we'll have a, um, we'll try to lift our spirits now after, after this conversation. So, yeah. (laughs) All right. right. Thank you. Thanks for (laughs) having (laughs) us. Bye-bye. And that brings us to the end of another episode of the context podcast. Thanks to guests, Heidi Porter, Chris Moyer, and Wim Decord for their willingness to stand in the face of this monster and share with us how to overcome it. Check below in the show notes for more information and links to the presentations that they have done around our community and do what you can to learn about ransomware and how we can combat it.